0: So, thanks for uh, joining us uh, so far. We got a few folks in here, and I see we got uh, Colin on board. Logan is with us. Danielle is in the background running the main CASA uh, uh, page. Looks like we've got Cheryl joining us as well. Um, just waiting for folks to filter in, and then we'll get started.
1: Uh, real quick, can you hear my fan? I know it's <laughs> kind of an odd way to start the show, but I've—it's super warm up in my my room right now. And I'm trying to cool it down. We had kind of a heat wave roll through down here today.
0: No, I think and I that hope that it's true.
1: not. Uh, I just hope that it's not too loud. No,
0: I can't hear it at all.
1: Okay, fantastic. Hi everyone.
0: Well, I guess we'll uh, you know since this is this is live and on on the air. We'll we'll go ahead and get started. Um I, folks can filter in and we've got we've got our special guests for the, this evening signed in as speakers, so um I'll get right to it. Uh as the title says, uh tonight we're joined by um, Dr. Colin Mendelson, Dr. Colin Mendelson and Dr. Cheryl Olson Uh for folks who don't don't know uh our guests tonight, uh Dr. Colin Dr. Colin Mendelson is one of Australia's leading experts on smoking cessation. He was the founding chairman of the Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction Association and is a member of the committee that develops the, hold on, I looked this up, uh, Royal Australian College of General Practitioners National Smoking Cessation Guidelines He was a co-joint associate professor in the School of Public Health and Community Medicine at the University of New South Wales, Sydney, and is actively involved in research, teaching and writing about smoking and vaping. And I read that bio off the back of his new book, uh, which I highly recommend to folks and is about to become a a well-thumbed resource for me, Uh, Stop Smoking, Start Vaping. The healthy truth about vaping. Um, you can pick that up on any of the online booksellers of your choice. Uh welcome, Colin. And uh also we are joined by uh Dr. Cheryl Olson, uh previously a guest on our uh our podcast on Saturdays. Thanks for joining us there. And thanks for coming back. Uh, she is an expert on using media to change attitudes and actions that promote health. She co-founded the Center for Mental Health and Media at the Massachusetts General Hospital, Hospital Harvard Medical School. Uh, Internationally known researcher on video game violence, author, media producer, speaker, consults to nonprofits, foundations, and corporations. And you can read all of that and more on her website, drsherylolson.com. Welcome, Cheryl. Thank you for joining us again.
2: Glad to be with you.
0: So, I, I think the, the, you know, the topic du jour is um, what we recently saw out of the Truth Initiative, uh, which has been this sort of ongoing campaign that, that uh, seems to be coming to a head, and um, I, I kind of wanted to give you guys a, an opportunity. You know, obviously, your work has something to do with what we'll be talking about later, but um, uh, maybe we'll start with, with Colin, since he hasn't been with us before. Um, Maybe take a few minutes and and give us a bit about uh, your background and and how that sort of may intersect with what we're talking about tonight, which is uh, mental health
3: and nicotine and so on. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for asking me. And um, yeah, look, uh, I've been working in the field of tobacco treatment for 35, 40 years, mainly as a clinician, but increasingly as a researcher, a teacher, writer and advocate, and I've become very involved in tobacco harm reduction because it's such a wonderful option for smokers who can't otherwise quit. I worked in a uh, private psychiatry hospital for several years and had a lot of experience with smokers who had mental illness and and um, came to learn a lot about this, and uh, this has become a special interest of mine. As you, as you all know, that smoking is a major problem with... Uh, mental illness, there are very high smoking rates. These people smoke more heavily, they're more addicted, they have lower quit rates. Uh, but they are as motivated to quit as the rest of the population and but we do tend to forget about them. Um, I just like to say a few words about why they smoke, because the question is, you know, is it what comes first, the stress or the smoking, or, or is it both? Well, there are common genetic factors. So if you've got schizophrenia or depression, you're more likely to smoke because of common genes. So that's just something to keep in mind. There definitely are genetic factors. But smoking does give uh, short-term relief from anxiety and depression. It does help people to cope with stress and people for that purpose. So it's one of those positive benefits of self medication. But it probably... Smoking itself does probably increase stress levels overall, because um, there's this constantly these constant episodes of withdrawal. Uh, there's thinking about when and where you can smoke next. There's worrying about your health, the financial stress, and the chemical effects of a lot of the seven thousand chemicals in, in in the smoke. So there certainly are factors which create stress. And there is the stress paradox, which, um, which the Truth Initiative refers to in this document. So this is that some of the calming effect of smoking is due to the relief of nicotine withdrawal. And people attribute that to, "Oh smoking relieves stress? But it's actually partly, the calming effect is partly due to, well, I mean, nicotine withdrawal, and this is relieving it. So nicotine must relieve stress. Um, uh, well, it only relieves withdrawal stress. But people with mental illness also smoke to relieve boredom. It helps with social interaction, helps reduce weight gain. So there are lots of reasons why people um, take up smoking. But the important thing is that quitting smoking improves mental health. Um, People who stop smoking have, have reduced anxiety, reduced depression, reduced suicide risk. There are many studies showing that they have improved quality of life. And of course, they save a lot of money. So if, you, if you're smoking and you have mental illness or stress, there's no question that quitting smoking is, is a very uh, positive step. So that's smoking. Uh, just going back to va- vaping, I think for people with mental illness, I mean, it's very hard for many of them to quit. And vaping is a very appealing option. And we know that people with mental illness are more likely to try e-cigarettes and are more likely to be currently using them. Uh, Than other smokers and the limited studies so far um, have shown that they do seem to help people to stop or substantially reduce uh, their smoking so there are a number of studies I mean we need more um, but you know there's no reason why it shouldn't work in this population or that may not work as well but but uh, there is some evidence it's effective so in terms of what are the benefits of vaping nicotine for people with mental illness? I think it's really important to understand that nicotine does have positive effects and people use it for those positive, positive effects. And so when we know from a number of studies that nicotine improves attention, uh, concentration, cognitive function, uh, working memory and, and some other functions in smokers and non-smokers. So nicotine does improve brain function especially in schizophrenia but it's also very beneficial for ADHD it improves attention and and cognitive function in that group as well so it is good for people with mental illness and Neil Benowitz who's the 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 nicotine guru um, in one of his reviews says nicotine reduces stress and anxiety in smokers smokers come to use nicotine to modulate the level of arousal and for mood control in daily life. So it certainly does help on its own, um, help with anxiety and mood. And it does have an antidepressant effect. And there are studies that show that um, it releases serotonin uh, through that pathway. But if you're vaping and you've got mental illness, it will help to relieve boredom and improve social interaction, saves money. And all these things are important, uh, important benefits. It does counter some of the negative symptoms of mental illness. A lot of people with schizophrenia are not motivated. Uh, Nicotine is a stimulant. It reduces the side effects of some of the medications. And, well, in the UK, of course, they have it in psychiatric facilities. And I think it has a really important role there to reduce aggression uh, and and to give comfort to people who are are, uh, regular nicotine users. And I guess the, the final thing I wanted to say is that studies demonstrate an association between vaping and adolescent, adolescents and adults with mental illness, but there's no evidence it causes mental illness. Um, it's a pop quitting age for people with mental illness, and it does relieve symptoms. There is some evidence. I've, I've that I've Colin. Colin,
0: Colin Colin I've, I've been uh, I've, I've been waiting to, to interrupt because the things were going okay, but uh, it sounds like your connection is, is really kind of choppy here. I don't know if uh... oh,
3: is it oh okay. Okay. So I've got my earpods on. I'm I wasn't sure, sure for I'll, a minute. Maybe it's just AirPods. me. <laughs> no, I'll take, I'll, I'll disconnect my earpods and put on some other headphones. Let's try that. Sorry. Uh, forget this device. So do you want to just push on and I'll, I'll do this and get, get back to you? Yeah,
0: sure. I, well, I'd love to, to, to pitch it to Cheryl for a little bit. Um, and I've already got questions, um, you know, based on, on what you've said, Colin. Uh, And and I think, um, you know, first of all, I'd love to give Cheryl an opportunity to introduce herself to our listeners, but also, um, you know, given your area of expertise, um, you know, one of the things that that has sort of struck me over the past day is, um, you know, talking about, it it actually comes from the the Truth Initiative report, um, uh, where I had it up here, here, Colliding Crisis Youth Mental Health and Nicotine Use, and, you know, there's a sort of a breakdown from a survey on page six, I think, uh, and it it talks about young people who quit vaping, saying that they feel less less stressed. Seventy eight percent of them said they they would feel better about themselves if they if they quit vaping. And I, I'm sort of curious, you know, as at maybe tacking on at the end of your introduction, Cheryl, um, could you is is there is it possible that all of the the messaging and the, the anti vaping campaigns are actually th- that's actually a cause of, of stress and, and depression for young people.
2: That's an interesting idea. Is, is my sound okay by the way?
0: You, you sound great.
2: Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't I doubt that the, all of the I, I, well certainly raising people's concerns about vaping as something that could hurt them, as we saw with all of the stuff about the, the the myth that a valley was caused by vaping and not by THC, you know, vaping nicotine and not THC, that certainly might add to the burden, but it's, it sounds like what's really going on, I mean, I, I, truth truth is telling the truth about the youth mental health, you know, the data are showing that anxiety and depression are going up during all of this, the upheaval of COVID. But given that, one of the, one of the things that concerns me, I mean, and I I speak here, I use a certain tone here deliberately. I always want to assume that everybody is trying to help, you know, do the right thing, that they have good intentions, the motivation is to help the mental health of young people. So I'm going to try to keep, keep that tone in mind, try to take the perspective of the truth folks a little bit. And I'm thinking about why did they choose to take this path, you know, this depression stick campaign idea. And, you know, obviously they were looking, they, I, I picked up the Wall Street Journal article from last September where they talked to their uh someone from their their ad agency which was called mojo supermarket <laughs> and about why they took this approach and uh apparently they saw this thing you know they're looking what can we latch on that's in the news to get fresh attention which is what everybody does of course and th- this uh h- uh guy from the agency says uh that uh, teens don't like to be preached to in ads, so they were looking for something they listened to. And he says, when I grew up, there were reasons to quit, referring to the health effects of cigarettes. We knew it caused cancer. People think vapes are just diet cigarettes. I don't know who these people are. Uh, We can't go with the same reasons and say it still causes cancer, but a little bit less. We needed a new reason for a new generation. I find that kind of appalling because... (laughs) I mean, first of all, he's you know that that's just spreading falsehoods about vaping causing cancer, like smoking, but just a little bit less. And it's saying, well, cancer is not relevant to young people today, so we want we want to look for something that is relevant, even when the the uh, Truth Initiative's own website is saying that the link, the research link between you know this as a causal thing, you know, vaping. And, or, or smoking as a causal thing is tenuous. But what this reminds me of, when we look at what they were doing with this whole campaign, this disp- depression stick, they talked about how they were, you know, stopping people on the street and accusing them of being, you know, uh, shills or something like that. And uh, it made me think about the guerrilla marketing campaigns in the 80s and 90s, you know, where they were, you know, before the internet, people had to find other ways to kind of go viral in the media that existed then and make a splash. But usually that was something associated with a small scrappy group and, you know, with a minimal budget and, and, you know, not with this giant well-funded entity like the truth initiative. And I also feel like it's one thing to go guerrilla marketing and go, you know, maybe pay a little fast and loose with things for a good cause against cigarettes, which actually are killing hundreds of thousands of people a year in the U S alone. And it's something else to do it against vaping where the statistical models, that look at you know deaths associated with it where they're mapping out oh these many young people will eventually die if you look at them closely they're mostly all assuming that vaping will people will start vaping and they'll switch to smoking and then they'll die so there and, and uh, do you have any did you have any questions before I keep on my diatribe
0: <laughs> no well I, actually I mean part of that obviously' or, or hopefully was um, you know, for folks to get to know a little bit about you. And I, I've sort of, you know, framed this as, um, you know, you have an expert here in, in the messaging and media influence over over folks, uh, over, you know, in, in, in the public health sphere. Um, and so I don't know if you wanted to add some more detail to that. And then hopefully somebody other than me will have questions.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I, I'd like to say one other thing, though, about the, this link between, I mean, I know Dr. Mendelssohn who I'm very happy to virtually meet today, uh, he talked about this a bit, but but it, we've got to make it clear there is very weak research support for the idea that smoking causes depression. Uh, studies that follow this over time that I've seen uh, suggest that the relationship between major depression, and smoking, there might be one. It might be what they call, you know, bidirectional causality, where one is sort of exacerbating the other. And it, it, it also the researchers think it might be that there's some other factors, genetic things, you know, life factors, trauma uh, that might be causing both more smoking and the depression. So uh, I, that concerns me. You know, there, it's that's one of my biggest concerns here is that they're building this whole campaign on a foundation of sand. It's a very uh, weak foundation. I was looking up a qualitative study of people who are dealing with depression who smoke, and I think it's very instructive where they they talked about you know, if I want to quit, it's hard for me to quit smoking my when my mood is so low, I have to be in a more stable place to even begin to quit nicotine. And uh, the fact that the, the things that are happening, you know, the things that exacerbate the depression, and the need to smoke are you know, this lack of sense of control over their lives. Uh, you know, not being bored, not having meaningful activities, which certainly we all saw that happen in COVID, a much a big increase in boredom and lack of meaning and uh, lack of sense of control, Uh, I'm sure familiar to a lot of you all listening. And then, you know, then smoking is sort of like a, you know, an escape or crutch, it it makes you feel better in the moment. Uh, So, so there's, you know, there's just a lot of things that are, you know, they're, they're feeding on each other. And and one of the biggest problems I have when I look at this is I think, you know, I'm looking at the public health thing. Yeah, uh, youth depression, anxiety right now is a big issue that we should be drawing attention to definitely. And I, I commend truth for that aspect of it. Uh, but I think that they're focusing, they're, the way they're doing this is diverting attention from things that actually could help the youth suffering from depression and anxiety. In some ways, this reminds me of uh, the, I, you, know, you, you mentioned in, in my introduction, that I worked on video game violence research for a number of years. And this reminded me a little bit of the stuff I went through with video game violence being blamed for uh, youth youth uh, school shootings uh, and the yeah. FBI and the and the secret Service did research and said that's not the case but uh, but the main problem that, with that was that if people are looking oh video game violence and that's what's causing uh, youth aggression youth delinquent behavior you know they're they're going off in, in and you know they're doing a wild goose chase and it's diverting attention from things that could actually make a difference and it was very easy for politicians to say oh I'll protect I'll, uh, parents I'll protect your, your, your uh, young people from the scourge of uh, violent content in video games instead of saying, well, what is really going on with, uh, you know, with, with causes of, societal causes of violence or of uh, aggression or problems? And how can we address that? Those are a lot harder to address, by the way, especially within one election cycle. Uh, but it, it, it can become a very cynical way of kind of distracting from a real problem that needs attention and making people think they've addressed it. When they've really just sort of slapped a band-aid on a piece of it, uh, and, and yeah, uh, I,
0: I, I, yeah. Was, I, was, I just wanted to jump in and add, you know, I was listening to some testimony uh, in Colorado earlier before we came on, um, which I just I cannot listen to these committee hearings and city council hearings. It it is it is really just grueling to listen to the the nonsense over and over again, and it's, it's even more distressing. Uh, hearing people who, uh, you know, as you say, are, are people who just they want to deal with the problem. They want to protect their children. They want to protect their communities. Uh, they they genuinely are concerned, but they they come armed with the same talking points. Uh, about these policy solutions that we know are 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 not ultimately going to be successful, uh, and and part of that was you know it had me thinking that you know this this sense of lack of control, as you mentioned, I mean it's just it it's super amplified right now because of of what we've been through for the past two years in the pandemic and then now and now war, uh, and and so uh, you know even without that, I think what a lot of people are searching for is this very convenient like head of the snake. We we want to and, and this was you know spawned by a, a woman talking about her son who who died tragically from from fentanyl, um, but she she laid the blame at that flavored vape that that's what he started with he progressed oh, to THC and went on to using other drugs and and it was just presented in this way and I I'm just visualizing this person this very concerned mom wants to cut the head of the snake off and 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 I, right. I know that we all want that simple solution but. Um, unfortunately it's just not there so anyway I'm sorry I, I jumped in but
2: <laughs> no please absolutely I you know I, I when I was just scrolling down like while I was listening to you I was also scrolling down through the truth's you know multi-page document about what they're calling their c- colliding crises youth mental health and nicotine use and I was looking to see do they anywhere give information on 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 Things people could do to address those feelings, but no, they go right to ban flavored vapes and then, and call your politicians because really the concern I have here, I mean, in addition to the, you know, this this spreading spreading the misinformation, we all know that there's, I, I think I think most people listening to this uh, chat have seen the data on how the general public. And health professionals, so many of them, the majority of them, think that nicotine is is what's causing cancer and causing other health problems. And if you think that, you know, and and if and, and really the, the truth, a lot of the truth initiative stuff kind of muddies that. Uh, why are you going to quit smoking in favor of reduced risk products, you know, whether it's, you know, vapes or pouches or other kinds of things or going to NRT? You know, nicotine replacement therapy. You know, assuming that you are too stressed to actually quit nicotine, which is probably very likely right now for many, many people. Uh, they're 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 making. I th- I think they're they're risk gaming. People say, well, screw it. I guess you know I can't deal with this. I can't do anything. It's all dangerous. I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. And uh, and their their message is about you know vaping danger, danger, danger. You know, they say they're trying to target youth a lot with a lot of these campaigns, including the government ones on vaping. But we know that. Young people then go and talk to their parents. And if the parents are thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, these, you know, they I was going to try this vaping like my neighbor or my my sister. But now I think I just should stick with my my camels or my Newports or what have you. Uh, It's very dangerous. And the other thing is it would have been, you know, I would have been so happy if Truth Initiative, instead of just going right to the ban vapes, ban vapes in this document, if they would have at least taken part of this document to say, you know, talk to talk to, to to your kids or or hey teens um there are you know we understand that you may be turning to nicotine as a quick quick fix you know let, let them call it a crutch whatever they want to do to uh, deal with your stress and anxiety and lift your mood but there are other things you can do that won't addict you you know i'm think i'm trying to think how would they phrase it right uh and you know here are some things you could do you know you you can call you know you, don't be isolated find ways to connect with your friends whether it's over you know, over the internet or some other, you know, or an app, if you can't be there with them in person, now that there's a break in COVID, at least for now, you know, get together with them, hug your friends, spend time with people, even if you're feeling low, go ahead and try to, you know, get yourself to go out, take walks. So there's, there's a whole, um, I, I, I think I mentioned uh, to somebody that I, I my, my doctoral dissertation at the Harvard School of Public Health was actually about Uh, training high school teachers to identify and refer young people who might be depressed or suicidal so you know i have a pretty good familiarity even though i'm not a clinician i'm a public health person uh with this you know symptoms of depression things you can do and i've also you know had some history in my family of this as well so you know there are a lot you know if assuming people are you know if we're talking mild to moderate depression, getting people to go for walks, getting them to exercise. There's a lot of things that people can do in their daily lives that are as effective as antidepressants, according to the data. So, you know, they could have put there any... So, long story short, there's a lot that they could have put in there with examples and specifics and quotes from, from young people talking about, here's things that I do to try to deal with my stress and my anxiety. And this is something we're all going through, help them feel connected, maybe connect into some kind of, you know, online, uh, you know, online buddy system or peer support hotlines or whatever. I'm not seeing any of that. And this is such a wasted opportunity.
0: Yeah. And all of that certainly good advice for, you know, people of all ages, for sure. I know I need to get out more. It's been brutally cold up here but we're starting to warm mm-hmm. up um, <laughs> um but with that i i i did um want to uh, you know pitch back to to colin here i don't know if we're if your yep. audio yep. Is, is sorted out um, until, um, you, until you talk but
3: i think i think i'll back, can you hear me okay
0: yeah for sure yeah um sure. one of my questions uh, i know you know in your book you you have a, a section on um young people, the risk to young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think I, I, I'm going to mess up the numbers here. I'm not really the numbers and statistics person, um, but I, I think you, you, you quoted um, something like 0.3% of Australian youth are using vapor products regularly. And I don't know that the, the, the number is all that much different in the United States. Uh, which is a, a very interesting parallel there that that e-cigarettes are so strictly regulated. I mean, I don't—you can barely call Australia's regulations regulations. Um, it compared yeah. to the United States, yeah. um, and then you know the other thing that that you know to maybe bring it back or you know another point here um, is you know what we touched on before or you you, you brought up, which was um, you know nicotine relieving the stress of withdrawal. Uh, and, you know, given that we have, you know, most kids, whether it's Australia, the United States, the UK or Canada or wherever, the majority of young people using these products are just experimenting. And and I, I want to look at that and think, these are not young people who are likely to progress to habitual use. Um, exactly. And, and yeah. so I think one of, one of the questions is, compared to smoking, what's the... What's the withdrawal like? What, what's the quitting process for, for a young person, um, even for a young person who is, you know, habitually using a vapour product? Is it, is it the same? Is it easier compared to smoking?
3: Yeah, look, I think the first point you make is a really important one, that the, the incidence of dependence on nicotine in young people is actually very low. Um, and, and we've seen that in, in studies from all around the world. Um, kids are mostly either smokers to start with, but regularly use by non-smokers is actually quite rare. And studies that have looked at the level of addiction or dependence in vapors in the US, for example, um, have found that less than 3% of kids who've never smoked have symptoms of nicotine dependence. So I think that's a hugely exaggerated issue um, because most kids are not dependent. I mean, kids experiment, they use it short term and, uh, you know, developing nicotine addiction is, is actually quite uncommon. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, from my experience as,
0: as a young person, I remember it, it's certainly not the, the instant addiction that people make it out to be. It was, it was a process for me. Uh, and I know a lot of people, especially, you know, if you're 13 years old and you're picking up cigarettes, you know, it's not something that you can do every day or every hour of the day. Uh, And it wasn't until I, you know, was 16 and and got some autonomy. I got a driver's license. I can go disappear from the watchful eye of teachers and parents all afternoon if I want when I'm 16. Um, And that's when habitual use kind of started. And even then it wasn't, you know, it was outside of school hours whenever I could get away. It wasn't, uh, um, you know, I I don't even, uh,
3: under somebody's definition, that's habitual
0: use. But yeah.
3: Yeah. And look, that's what the studies show that. I mean, you know, the um, uh, most use is, you know, by not, most use is now by, by smokers, most regular use, almost all regular use is by you know, young people who, who previously smoked or currently smoke. And they were addicted to nicotine from smoking and they probably still are, but it's the non-smokers. What What's important is are the non-smokers becoming long-term users? Are they becoming addicted? Are they going on to smoke, being smokers? And... That that's where the real harm comes in, and th- there's no good evidence of that. In fact, the evidence suggests it's it's quite rare. And and can I just go back to a couple of points, Alex? Just that uh, Cheryl was saying. And hi, Cheryl. Nice to meet you.
2: Um, nice to meet you.
3: Yeah. Look, I think I think you made a very good point about all this targeting of the young. I mean, it's politically appealing. Uh, we're protecting the kids. Um, We're fighting the tobacco companies, but it is demonising vaping, and it does discourage adults, and this is part of the thing about vaping. I think this is just feeding into that. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm not as, as charitable as Cheryl is regarding the Truth Initiative. I, I, I suspect that, you know, attacking vaping is just a self-serving, single-minded goal, meeting, you know, preserving the relevance of the Truth, Truth Initiative and, um, you know we're protecting the kids from evil tobacco companies we need money to keep doing this it's a very convenient target based on on misperceptions and appeals to parents and and i think it's quite cynical
0: yeah actually i i I would say i think while while cheryl was describing um uh the 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 truth initiative uh uh, effort here I, i i just had replacement crisis in my head much like replacement smokers it's 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 a there's certainly a uh, self-preservation in, involved in that yeah
3: well kids aren't vaping anymore as we saw in the new york back in the, the uh, national youth tobacco survey recently 1.9 percent of kids are, are smoking less than 0. 0.4 of a percent of kids uh, are, are smoking daily so yeah yeah they're, they're losing their relevance and this helps them to maintain it
0: yeah. I, I mean, do either of you think that, you know, given the very low smoking prevalence among young people, are we are we are we likely to see within our lifetimes this, you know, a, a cohort of young people who grow up and, and
3: just don't touch combustible cigarettes? Yeah, look, I, I mean, looking if you look at the graph from the, new, the, the National Youth Tobacco Survey, um, you know, it's just continuing to decline and it's accelerated since, of course, vaping became available. And as I say, 1.9 percent have used of uh, teens in the National Youth Tobacco Survey, and that's in high school. Have used cigarettes in the last once or more in the last 30 days. Well, that, that's virtually tobacco smoking in young kids is virtually over in the US. But that's a problem for the Truth Initiative. So we've got to find some other uh, evil to to target, and, and in this case, it's vaping. Yeah, I think. I, I really want
0: to make sure I'm not the only one talking. So Danielle or Logan, if you guys want to chime in, feel free.
4: Um, I did have something that I just wanted to mention quickly when talking about the, the truth initiative. I know, you know, we can be a little, as, uh, as Colin said, a little less, um, you know, have tact when we're, we're talking about them. Um, but, you know, in one of the more recent um, videos that I did, the truth about vaping videos, You know, there was a Public Health Law Center panel where I think his name is David Dobbins. He's like one of the head guys at Truth Initiative was literally talking exactly about this issue. And I have, you know, an audio clip of him essentially saying, you know, the money for that we got, you know, from the cigarette companies initially, um, because that's how Truth was started. They were initially started with MSA funds. Um, he said, you know, that's kind of running out and in order for us to be able to keep fighting these evil, you know, now vaping companies, uh, we need funding to, to fight cause it's running out and we're not going to be able to do that. You know, so I think it's a pretty clear indication that, you know, a lot of this is in fact about funding. I don't, you know, mean to say that they are necessarily trying to do evil because I don't believe that either. Um, but I think that, that funding is definitely a huge part of this. And to what Cheryl said, it comes off as incredibly disingenuous, this you know, mental health campaign, that, that exactly as Cheryl said, they're not giving young people any tips for mental health, right? If you mm-hmm. really cared about the mental health of young people, Not only would you be encouraging them, you know, if you really felt that vaping was contributing um, to to stop vaping, but you would be giving them other tools and other resources. But there is nothing like that in any of these this documentation. And so to me, like I said, that's just incredibly disingenuous.
1: Yeah, if if I can kind of chime in here, um, this is uh, the 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 mental health and, and vaping and nicotine Um, all of this is really, if we can frame it in, in, in just the the general, you know, in, in drugs and and youth, this idea of, you know, these mental health issues being, being caused by drugs, um, really the reality of it is, is all too often drug use is, um, is a, is a, um, a way to cope uh, with trauma, with yeah. life, with all the the additional stressors. Um, we see this in in low income families um, and things like that, and and this is this is typical, you know, dog. This is typical dogma. This is typical drug war tactic to to blame the drug instead of addressing actual underlying issues. And and this is it's just really it's really shameful to see, you know, Truth Initiative go after um, the, the, the mental health crisis that, that youth are in right now and simply just just blaming it on vaping, you know, as opposed to really getting in and, and addressing what's going on.
3: Yeah, it's a very cynical approach. That, that's for sure. I mean, I think, I think the evidence is, is very clear that yes, stress is playing a key role in kids' taking up smoking that's one role kids do do use it for that but um vaping does certainly help some of them with, with stress and um yeah um if you take that away what's left they'll go back to smoking or they'll just become more anxious and depressed so it's they're not looking at the counterfactual here which is well without this what are the what are the likely outcomes
2: I think it can be very hard for a, a, an organization like the Truth Initiative. I, I, I see a lot of my public health colleagues. You know, I think there is, there's such a there's such a a high that you get. You know, a good feeling that you get from being the good guys, from being the white knight, fighting the evil empire that that people you know that was big tobacco decades ago. No question, they were doing te- they're killing a lot of people, and and they still are, but uh it's you know they instead i think they in some sense i think maybe emotionally there's an effort to hold on to that black and white we're the good guys thing and there's a a reluctance to uh acknowledge that maybe the there's a lot more gray area now than there used to be and that something very different is happening here and anytime there's a profit motive involved whether it's pharmaceuticals whether it's you know makers of nicotine products whether it's uh, you know, nonprofits that need to raise money. You uh, and academia too. I mean, there's a lot of pressure. When I was at Harvard, on to, to you know, you you got to fund yourself. So you know, money is a factor in everything. But you know, to to come to come back to you know, really looking at the facts, I I have a feeling. My my gut feeling is that we're kind of at the crest of a moral panic here about youth vaping where, I mean, uh, I, as Colin knows, the, the Society for Research on Nicotine Tobacco is having their conference in uh, the DC area this week. And they, this year, are not allowing any scientists who work for uh, traditional tobacco companies or com- or, or any company that, that is partly owned by a t- traditional tobacco company, which is like Juul, to even attend the conference. You know, that not, it's not that they can't present, it's that they can't even be there. They have to skulk around the edges. And the reason given was basically, well, some of these people were walking around without their name tags, identifying them as corporate people, and you know, talking to people just like they were regular people. And they might, the sense is, they might contaminate the the good guy scientists with their corporate evil. I mean, it's, it's really is what it, they're kind of corporate cooties. Is what it feels <laughs> <Yeah>. like. <laughs> Uh, And, yeah, and and we have to get, but, you know, at the same time, we see that happening with SRNT. We just saw that article last year in the American Journal of Public Health by 15 former presidents of that same society saying, hey, guys, Mm. we're way out of whack, we're way out of balance. We've got to look at the adults and we got to look at the data on the youth that's showing how Mm. this is going down, down, down. And the data on the actual health risks of vaping versus smoking and the lack of a clear link showing that, as we originally feared, vaping might be a gateway direct to smoking, as they used to you know, talk about uh, you know, uh, the a relationship between smoking and marijuana use. I mean, the fact is that youth risk behaviours cluster together because they're experimenting. And I'm, I'm sure Colin could tell mm. a lot more about that.
3: Uh, I've, I've just lost you there, but, um, yeah, but, but absolutely. And I think youth vaping is one of the least risky risk behaviours that kids do uh, participate in. I mean, if you compare it to smoking and alcohol and illicit drugs, it does a lot less harm, but it's getting a lot more attention than it deserves. But just to go back to that point about the tobacco company, I think the war against the tobacco industry is taking precedence over public health. Um, And the the irony is that, you know, in opposing vaping, we're actually supporting uh, the tobacco companies We're we're supporting combustible cigarette smoking. And, and, and that, that, that's where you know, this, this whole campaign has gone off track. You know, it sounds good on the surface. Yes, we want to destroy the tobacco companies, but in fact, we're actually, what, what really counts is it doesn't matter who makes these products, if they help people stop smoking and if they improve health, that's, that should be the priority. It's not that they're, they're, they're still stuck in that the, the past war against big tobacco and the effects mm-hmm. are harmful to public health.
0: Yeah, it's you know one of the things that I, I, I we've been pointing out I think for years and 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 is is just becoming really obvious. The more that like Truth Initiative or or Matt Myers for example, I, I watched some of the the video from yesterday at SNR, SRNT, um, You know when these folks talk about what the appropriate environment for selling vapor products or or any other you know reduced risk product, they 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 seem to be. Thinking in a vacuum where cigarette sales don't exist, uh, it, it is this suggestion that it's adult-only establishments uh, only, and and you know in, in the Truth Initiative's uh, 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 report or, or position statement on what harm reduction is, uh, you know people would have to sign a log book to buy these products. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, there's nothing to there's no reason to assume that cigarettes are mm. going to stop being sold at gas stations, uh, directly in the eye line of anybody paying for their purchase. Um, and, and mm. so I, 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 it, it, it's, it's weird. I mean, are these folks just so blinded by ideology or do they have a, a degree of confidence that at least in the United States, we're going to see
3: cigarettes disappear from the public view? Yeah, well, that, that's not going to happen. Um, and I think they—they are—they are ignoring the counterfactual for sure. Um, I think I think we've seen that vaping is diverting kids away from smoking. That's why the smoking rate in the U.S. has accelerated downward since vaping became available. Um, so I think if you if you t- focus on vaping and 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 demonize it, people will go back to smoking.
2: And we've seen that, that there was the there was data from the Federal Trade Commission showing that. Uh, during the first year of COVID, the, the sales of cigarettes, at least to wholesalers and retailers, did go up in terms of quantity of, of cigarettes. And mm. so that's very concerning.
0: Yeah, yeah I yeah. think I, I wonder, I mean, how was there any follow up to that? Like how much of that was just sort of uh, hoarding or, or, you know, preparing for not being able to go shopping?
2: Well, that was that was shipments, to, uh, shipments, I think, to the to to the sellers. I don't think it I think, I, I, I'm not sure if it was purchases. There's a whole, you have to go to the FTC website and look at the report. I only frankly looked at the first page or two because it's not, the economics are not my field. Uh, but it's it was definitely a quantity shift, not a dollar issue.
0: And I mean, I know overall we we did see at least adult smoking tick up. Um, we were at like 14 point something percent at, at a couple of years ago, and now it's gone back up to 16 so there is some measurable increase, and, and likely, of course, due to the stress of the COVID times.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm cons- you know, just, just uh, you know, this is this is uh, anecdotal evidence as opposed to solid research here. But just, I, I live in the middle of Silicon Valley in a town called San Carlos. And uh, I guess walking around here in the last few years, I used to notice, I mean, there's always a certain amount of marijuana smell. But I'm thinking, you know, uh, but an air, smells in the air <laughs> that I'm noticing Aside from that, there's, uh, I used to smell vaping more, you know, little, fr- little hints of fruit or, or something here and there. And I, I haven't smelled that in the last six months or so. And I'm smelling smoking much. I I like a couple of times a week or more walking around and I really don't get out that much. Uh, I'm smelling cigarette smoke. And that's something that I hardly smelled at all a couple of years ago. And that, I'm just, that gets, you know, it just makes me think, you know, what is going on here? It makes me think that's this, that ha- smoking in some circles, including, you know, the Silicon Valley area where people were very hostile and basically drove Juul out of San Francisco back, you know, back to the uh, D.C. area. I, I think that smoking is it's actually becoming more socially acceptable than vaping, which is really scary.
0: It's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. I I feel like I've noticed the same thing. You know, I live in a small town up here in, in way oh. northern New York, but when I first moved here, I, I just remember seeing, you know, the vape cloud coming out of people's cars and, and you would see people downtown. There's there were a couple of vape shops downtown. I lived above one for a little while, but it you know, it just seemed more prevalent out in the wild. And now I it it's just been that way for probably I I would say um probably around the time. Maybe just a little bit before, but also after the lung injury cases sprung up here almost exclusively in America. Um, that that after that, it seemed like I just didn't see as many people vaping.
2: I think it's possible that you know even though the the trends are so wonderful, and as uh, Dr. Mendelssohn said, that the um, we're seeing. If there, there's great charts that you can see based on government data that showed the, ter- the downward trend with cigarettes and how when vaping came in, it just accelerated in this beautiful way. Uh, and I'm, I'm con- you know, I'm concerned that it could be possible that we'll have that loop down and loop back up again if people are looking for some, if they're thinking, well, all these nicotine things are the same, and you gotta die something anyway, and I'm looking for something to do. Uh, You know, and and things things can spread. Trends can spread so much more quickly now with social media and the Internet than they ever could before. And it really worries me that we've got to get a handle on addressing these myths about nicotine and addressing this misperception that vaping is just about as bad as smoking, which it so is not.
0: Well, you know, I I think that actually kind of sets up for you. We got about 15 minutes left here and I want to be respectful of y'all's time. Um, and, and, and again, thanks for, for joining us tonight, but, you know, it, it, like you mentioned with the, you know, the truth initiative report, uh, I don't think we'd be doing our job if we weren't talking about solutions. Um, and, and, and right now it seems, you know, that for, for us, the biggest issue here is, is, is misinformation and combating the misinformation and getting, getting the people who need these products, the truth about, you know, how to, how to switch. And so, um, at least in, in the United States, I, I, think, um, you know, folks have been talking about this on Twitter today, uh, and 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 it's been brought up. I, I think, you know, I, we made a comment at TipSack on one of the uh, modified risk applications. Um, you know, is this something that is going to be exclusively uh, in the hands of FDA? Do do we need to? And and, and uh, do we have any confidence that FDA is going to come around to this, or 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 are they? is it it now purely political for them and um I, i i don't know ultimately my question is like you know the way forward like how do we what can we do better to make sure that that folks have the information and the access to these products to to improve their
3: health yeah look i i would i would say sorry just jumping i would say that um i mean the evidence is i think increasingly clear they don't think the FDA is making its decisions on the evidence. I mean, they're setting up all these barriers and I think a lot of the decisions are based on political factors and um, um, you know, financial issues and all sorts of other pressures. So just presenting the evidence doesn't seem to be enough. Um, I think the decisions are gonna be made politically to solve this problem. Um, but I think we also have to win the hearts and minds of the public and uh, uh, that will put pressure on the politicians. And the more vapors that come forward and speak up and tell their story, I think that's going to cut through a little bit more than just the evidence, which unfortunately, um, you know, people interpret in different ways and uh, the evidence that suits their agenda.
2: I also think we've got to make more of an effort to figure out how to reach academics and health professionals sort of one at a time, because this with this massive misunderstanding i uh when i when i did the casa um weekend show recently i was talking about how most you know most doctors uh and, and nurses they're they they do not have any idea that a lot of these reduced harm products exist unless they have you know a friends or relatives who are using them themselves which is probably relatively unlikely and there really needs to be an effort to raise awareness that hey these things exist i mean for example um you know, nicotine pouch products have been available for. I mean, you can find studies in the literature from you know, like 2009, 10, 11 about pouches. They've been around for a while, but there's if you look at some of the public health literature that talks about it from a more kind of a political side or things that say industry watch, they'll be like, oh, there's this new thing. It's a pouch, and it's so easy to conceal, and kids could try that next. That could be the next jewel. Uh, you know, there's and then and then people who you know have worked in the area or people who are nicotine users might say, wait a minute, these are not new, these are not unusual, but there's just this constant search for this, the next thing that's gonna attack youth. And so I think i think to get around that, that repeated cycle of moral panics, we're gonna to have to get out there and educate educate uh, politicians and educate health professionals and educate academics.
0: Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I, and-
3: I, I, I agree with that. And- Look, I, you know, I don't want to push my book, but um, one of the reasons I've written the book is to correct that misinformation. And you know, in Australia, we're making sure all the politicians get a copy of the book uh, and we're sending it out to health journalists and uh, other stakeholders. And I think, I, I think the book is, I mean, it's got 400 references. It's very evidence-based and it does present the evidence, which I, I hope some people will read. And, and we know it's very hard to change people's minds once they've made a decision, but you you would hope that uh, slowly, when the right evidence is slowly presented, um, that, that they will, uh, some of them at least will 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 make that uh, make that shift. Yeah, for sure. And just advanced or
0: current, thank yous to both of you for uh, participating and correcting the misinformation here. And and I, you know, oftentimes. Um, you know, when we, when we talk about the truth initiative and we talk about campaign and we talk about a lot of the activist organizations, we do take a tone that is, um, in a way a bit combative and, and, and not the friendliest tone, um, as you might imagine from a group of people who feel put on and, and attacked over the years. Um, we may be a little bit short on patience, but, um, you know, I, I feel like, um, you know, both of you and some other folks that, that we've, we've all met through, uh, you know, talking about and, and promoting tobacco harm reduction. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who have stepped outside of that, that tobacco control bubble and, uh, and really taken the opportunity to, um, you know, question the, the, the dogma and the propaganda and, and, mm-hmm. and, and the outcomes of those campaigns, um, and are looking at this in a more critical light. And I, and I just, I think, you know, if there's a message out there for for the folks who we might identify as opponents, it's that the door is always open. Your curiosity is mm. what matters. And that, you know, and, and as soon as you can and open up to, to accepting the evidence that, that people like like Colin and Cheryl are, 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 are putting out there, um, you know, take a stand. Just come out and tell the truth. And, and I think that's, mm. um, you know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily take it. You got to be a little brave, <laughs> for sure. Um, but yeah. you know, there there's a there is an opportunity
3: for people to to maybe reclaim that that white knight status here. And look, there's very much a groupthink problem here too. That if you are in one of the uh, the public health uh, health charity medical organisations, and you you know you there is a dominant narrative. Uh, if you step outside that, you you really are putting yourself at risk in terms of funding career opportunities and so on, uh, research funding. And so it's very hard to take that step outside you know, the, the, the the dominant uh, group think. And I, I think it's very hard for people.
2: Yeah, I know academics have been shunned for just you know writing one report with industry funding.
3: Mm. Yeah, yeah. that's a, They're very quick to yeah, smear absolutely. anything I, that's connected I, to, to a, a very quick to smear anything that's industry funded rather than, you know, objectively analyzing the, the, the data that's being presented. That that was
0: actually something that struck me um, in, in one of the presentations at, at SRNT yesterday. Um, I, I forget the woman's first name, but she's from the University of Minnesota. Her last name is Carol, and she was one of the authors on the piece that was published in, um, I, I was at nicotine and tobacco research, um, about the, you know, young, young investigators, young researchers coming, right. into the, to, coming into a polarized field. And as she was introducing her work, she said that, um, uh, you know, she, uh, I guess the study was, uh, sort of blank, uh, is divisive and something else. And, and what she wanted to do was investigate e-cigarettes, but, not really because of the effects that it might have on her career so i'll just sort of backpedal my my statement there about becoming the white knights and 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 i do I, i feel i would be remiss if i didn't acknowledge that there are incredible professional hurdles um for people and and it is it is a money issue and it is a reputation issue um and so i i i will backpedal a little bit and 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 have to express some empathy there as much as i possibly can um
2: it's a career
3: yeah it's sorry just it's a career younger academics and and people in the industry um you know for them to step out of line in the early on in the career is very difficult for me towards the end of my career uh, i don't care what people think of me and i think i have to say what's right but i can get away with that uh, whereas if you're beginning a career in this field if you uh, speak heresy then of course you you're severely and harshly criticized and marginalized
2: I'm in the same boat Colin where I feel like I'm toward the end of my career and I and I you know I'm not affiliated with the university any longer by my choice and I feel like you know I you know people like like us who who have an opportunity to sort of Try to help be uh, someone who can help build bridges and meet in the middle. You know where we we aren't at risk of having our careers derailed or having our funding mm. taken away. We've got to do that, and, yeah. and uh, you know actually, uh, I, you know my my husband, who's a psychologist, uh, was trained with Dorothy Hatsukami, who's a prominent researcher mm. in this field, and what and at the American Psychological Association some years ago, they did a session together with a few other researchers on sort of you know how do you deal with collaborating with industry and trying to you know build those bridges uh and it's it's sad because i think there were as many people on stage as there were in the audience but but you know you that's that's one way to try to reach out is to say let's talk about what is you know how do we ethically collaborate across you know across tribal borders and i think Mm. sunshine and openness is absolutely the the key ingredient Mm.
3: yeah
0: yeah for sure um, and even, you know, calls from, uh, I, I think, within SRNT for, for uh, or maybe that was the maybe it was the truth initiative uh, calling for a more transparent authorization process through FDA, um, which transparency for sure could could benefit uh, some of the members of industry who are trying to bring their their safer products to market Um but uh so I, on those notes um i, I don't want to end things abruptly but uh i will you know open it up again for for logan or danielle any other questions or or colin or cheryl any anything's anything that we didn't touch on that that we would benefit from here
1: yeah no i think this is a, this is a fantastic conversation um just to add i guess a little bit of personal experience here you know as somebody who's who's grown up with um I and mean, depression suicidal ideology self harm uh history of self harm and somebody who also used to smoke i can tell you one of the the best things i ever did for my my mental health was to quit smoking and switch to vaping um but i'll tell you one of the worst things i ever did for my mental health was start advocating for it <laughs> um and <laughs> um, i joke i joke um this is a you know this this area this space is is definitely one that um, takes a lot of diligence, but, um, you know, I, I just can't help but, but think of our youth today and think that they just deserve better than, than you know, m- millions of dollars being spent on commercials and, and you know, graphics and campaigns um, that, that don't, you know, really address what's going on or address their needs and, and simply put a, a laser focus on maybe one of the few things that they are doing to, you know, seek relief. Um, and that that's really discouraging because what, what do we do next you know say say we say we help all the youth around the world quit vaping what about their mental health now where do we go from there and what has what that done you know for them um, so I guess that's just kind of you know where I want to leave it really is is a, a, again to frame it you know in the in the, the sense of drugs we, we, we blame the drugs but but where do we go from there you know and, and what can we do besides you know campaigning against depression sticks what can we what can we do there to uh, what can we do from there to help our youth
2: yeah addressing the under, addressing the trauma address addressing the isolation the
4: factors that are driving these things and i wanted to add too that in addition to you know like Cheryl just said addressing the underlying issues i think organizations like truth You know, they're not going to be able to make any headway unless they can actually be honest uh, about why people, you know, smoke or why people do use nicotine products. And they, you know, in this report, they sort of touched on, oh, well, people feel like, you know, nicotine helps reduce stress or helps reduce depression. But really, that's not the case. But I mean, it is, though, like we're not advocating, you know, that you should smoke to cure your depression. No one is saying that. But to deny that there are, in fact, benefits that people, you know, like Colin talked about, that there are, in fact, mental benefits. In fact, you know, nicotine is even being studied for things like um, Alzheimer's. There's the mind study um, that's going on right now. You know, there are actual therapeutic effects from nicotine, especially, you know, if you want to be outside outside of combustible and and the harmful constituents there. And Mm. I know I'm speaking in circles, but to deny that is just... You're never going to be able to have an honest conversation and really help people if you can't even admit why, you know, if you can't agree with them that there is a benefit that they are getting out of it and try to help them move from there, if that makes sense.
2: I think the problem with that is that underlines, undermines the narrative that people have that people are only smoking because a big tobacco is marketing to them. And that really was something that I ex- kind of accepted without thinking it through very much until I started to, to, to really talk to more experts and, and to smokers. Uh, there, I think that's just a bias out there that, oh, they're just, they wouldn't do it if they weren't being sold. It. And they just don't, they need to have that that belief brought to the front of their minds and really analyzed and have evidence address it uh, and, and have that challenged.
4: I absolutely agree, because especially in this day and age with so many regulations on you know tobacco companies, It's not like kids now are growing up seeing, you know, Joe Camel and ads everywhere and your doctor saying, use this one, you know, that sort of stuff doesn't exist anymore. And yet there is still an underlying prevalence of smoking. So obviously, you know, there's something else going on there. Like Logan, you know, in my youth, I definitely have a history of, you know, suicidal ideation, mental health issues, self-harm as well. And I, you know, I knew almost from a young age that I was probably going to smoke because there was just some sort of draw. And I think there is a genetic component, I think a lot of things, but it did give me a therapeutic benefit. That's why I did it. Not because I saw advertisements Mm. or not because, you know, no one in my family smoked, like none of these things, you know, I never grew up with it, but I was drawn to it. And I think that there's a reason for that. And if people, you know, can't be honest about that, they're never going to make any real headway.
3: And and if cigarettes weren't available would you've tried vaping?
4: Oh, absolutely I think that I would have. Yeah. Um I didn't even particularly like, you know, and there's I don't know that there's any maybe there's a few. I can't say, you know, absolutely, but smoking is difficult. You know what I mean when you mm. when you haven't done it before, um it's mm. painful and it's uncomfortable and you have to get your body used to it. But obviously mm you know, there's a reason to go through that, Mm. you know, there's a benefit there that we are sort of chasing as people initiating smoking that makes it worth it. And for, you know, academics or researchers or nonprofits to not even discuss that is just so, you know, it's so disheartening. Like, Mm. yeah, it's very frustrating.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, with that, um, I, we're we're at eight o'clock. We've had you guys for an hour. Um, uh, give another opportunity in case there's anything else we wanted to discuss. Um, but other than that, I think we'll we'll probably call it a night here.
2: Thanks. It's been a pleasure to okay. talk with you all.
3: Yes, and thank Why you. I, 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 please keep up the good work. I mean, I, I we mustn't give up, and it's. It's it's um, it's just a shame we haven't got certainly in Australia, you have... have more in the US but yeah you know, people just need to come to enough political increases people will start getting the message but yeah I think we're in for a slow ride.
2: And Colin, please don't be shy about promoting your book. It's important, you know, you have to get the word out. And I think, you know, a reputable person such as yourself, when you say with all of those citations and you're someone who people who might not be inclined to listen, might be willing to take a peek at and, and it might crack open their thinking a little bit.
3: Yeah. I, I, look, I'd like to see doctors getting copies, MPs getting copies. I mean, that they hopefully we'll be open to the facts and that's what the book is basically looking at. So I'd love to see it distributed as to, to decision makers and to, to, key people. Uh, and that's, that's why I've written it because I want to change the, the agenda. Um, and yeah, it needs to be out there.
2: Thank you yeah. for doing that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And, uh, I, I'll just mention it again here. It's stop smoking, start vaping. Uh, if you, uh, want to visit, uh, CASA's, uh, information library, it's under our resources tab on our website. Um, it's featured in our recommended reading section along with some other, other good books to check out, uh, not just on this topic, but, um, mainly on, on this topic. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, lots of great work from you guys. And I, I, I really do appreciate you, you, you taking some time out of your, your or evening, morning for you, Colin, uh, and and coming on and talking with
2: us. It's our pleasure.
3: And yeah, so, uh, my, with books that, are about, my books we'll, available. Uh, I just, just want to have my books available as available for Kindle and as an e as well. So, some people might prefer that. So, just to let you let them know.
0: Yep, for sure. Absolutely. I, I bought mine off of Amazon and I had both options available. Um, and then uh, I actually thought that the, bulk, the book had been stolen off of my porch. And I thought, well, you know, I think probably crime goes along with smoking. So maybe they'll get some use out of it. Um, but it was it was in my <laughs> okay. mailbox instead. Love it. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, um, I think we'll call this one to a close. Um, We will be, Kassar will be on live on Saturday on our podcast, uh, 4.30 Eastern. Um, And and we'll do this again in two weeks. We're going to try to get Dr. Brad Radu to come on and talk with us about the NYTS data uh, and other things. And he himself has a a story about being um, uh, either blackballed or on the verge of being blackballed because he is one of the Mm -hmm. early uh, voices out there promoting tobacco harm reduction. Um, and so we'll, we'll pick his brain a little bit about that as, as well. Um, and so, uh, I, am pretty sure I have not said all of the things, but uh, go ahead, Kong. No, I'm sorry. Nevermind. I have nothing else to say. That's fine. Thanks. Thank you, Alex. Okay. Okay. Great. And so with that, thank you guys. Thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll have a recording of this up on our website, Um, and, uh, if you're, if you're new to this, if you're new to CASA, go visit CASA.org and join. It's absolutely free. Uh, we don't send you lots of spam. Uh, we will send you notices when, when legislative stuff comes up and you can get involved and take action and stand up for your access to these products. Um, but again, go join CASA.org, uh, and we'll, we'll try to keep you in the loop there. Uh, and of course, a ton of resources on our beautiful new website, including Colin's book, um, <clears throat> and so, I think that's that. Logan, do you have any any elegant goodbyes to to drop in here?
1: No, sir. I think you just did a fantastic job. And okay. uh, and thank you to to Colin and Cheryl both. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Definitely appreciate both of your insights and um, and yeah, thank you.
4: Yes, thank you very yeah, much.
1: My, my pleasure. You're thank welcome.
4: You. All
1: right, with that, we'll
0: call it a night. Thank you all.